meet somewhere else secretly. <laughs> the first thing that comes to your mind is we have to break in there, we have to do some pranks to them, something. <laughs> I knew that was a boy. <laughs> when I was in, in elementary school, this is one of those things that I have to cut later on. When I was in elementary school, they, they had a, a big skeleton uh, that was used obviously for academical purposes. But as a boy, obviously, you don't care about that. And uh, the skeleton was hanging from a window where in a classroom where the girls would usually be. It was hanging from a window by a thread. So who thinks about that? And obviously, you know, this is, I was in like third grade. And like we got a bunch of boys together and, and we went there and, you know, we went behind the building, crawled and did everything we needed to do and started pulling the skeleton. We could just hear chick, 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 chick. And all the girls, ah! <laughs> <laughs> shouting and leaving. Okay, we're recording. I was saying that uh, it's a beautiful thing to see to see us together and, and to pray together. And, and there is a great, uh, as I was saying in that email, there is a great uh, consolation that we receive from, from praying together and, and knowing that there are so many of us with the same difficulties, the same problems, uh, the same interests, especially. Remember that our Lord said, there were two or more gathered in my name, there I am. And so when we actually get together to pray or to do anything, uh, anything that, that is for the glory of God, our Lord is present there and, and he, gives, he makes his grace shown. Now, another reason why this is relevant today is because the video from last Saturday came out today, which means that now it's public, but we have the idea of making a, a worldwide congress of Christian mothers in here. So, we'll have to make plans for that. I don't think it's going to be such a... I shouldn't say anything, but... It would be nice. Hopefully, we can plan for something for Easter. And maybe we can make some sign-up sheets uh, later on about, uh, you know, who wants to volunteer for, you know, hosting people if they want to come or, you know, helping with food or whatever. What I'm planning so far is uh, coming on Saturday, having the confraternity, having the talk, uh, renting some bouncing houses, as I told you last Saturday, so that the children can all be, we can just like go in there and, you know, do as, as you will. And having a couple nannies and maybe having, I don't know what, I don't know if for ladies it's the same that for men, you know, like having a steak or, you know, a barbecue or something like that. But that's up to you. Maybe we can get some of the guys to help with that. So. <laughs> yes! <laughs> So something like that, and, and, and do it at day, you know, do it like in the morning. Uh, maybe there could even be an outing somewhere, you know, it's something like that. We don't have to plan something big, but I think just planning it something that, that we can do for the weekend would be very pleasant for, for the ladies. And then you can make other plans in the evenings too. You know, if you someone wants to do like a house party or something, you can do that. I, I hope that at least some of the ladies from Oklahoma would come. Uh, I, we have Oletha. We have uh, Colorado Springs, we have Burlington. I mean, you, what would you do if someone tells you that this is going on? I think most of you would be like, we're doing it. So let's, let's try to hope for that. Today, I wanted to talk to you about uh, what would be some good practices for Lent in our family, in our children. Some of you have children, others might not have them anymore or they're grown up, uh, but uh, it's going to help anyways because it kind of, reinforces the idea from that sermon that I gave, uh, I think, last Sunday. 
where we talked about how to do Lent well. So let me get my dose of coffee. And I want to speak first, we're going to speak of two things. We're going to speak of the negative side, meaning, as I always do, the, the part of uh, what can we remove, what should we remove from our houses on, on Lent, what can we do to make it uh, more, to be safer spiritually, you could say, and then the positive side of it. You know, what, what virtues can we practice, what things can we add during Lent? Remember what I said in the last sermon, Lent is a moment where you get that spiritual push, so that is a moment where you want to take advantage. As a mother, there might be things that you want to correct in your children, things that you want to get them to do, uh, things that you want to remove sometimes from them. Yeah, You'll be our spy. You'll let us know if there's children out there. Uh, and Lent is a good time to do it. Lent is a good time to start because not only you, they are receiving graces, especially too. And so that is a time where they would be more willing to change things in their lives. So as I was preparing this, this episode, this um, talk, it became, I became aware of, you know, I was just putting things at random and I realized I'm actually addressing the three enemies of, the, of our soul, the world, the devil, and the flesh, which I found really interesting because I wasn't thinking of making a structure, but it just, it just came out. It's natural. It's the wisdom of the church. So let's think of the things. Um, let's think first of the goal that we want to have during Lent as a family. You know, you have, you have your personal goals, goals during Lent. But as a family, what are you pursuing during Lent? And the goal is very simple. You're trying to bring your family to be as Catholic as possible. Your family is much like a sp spaceship rocket, you could say. You know, there's so much going on. There are so many things that you have to take care of. You know, it's such a big project that you're engaged into that it's very easy to lose things here and there, you know, to lose some of the pieces, to kind of get off track in, in little things. As a mother, you know this, that many times you're, you're trying to do your best and then you look back and you go like, oh, like how, how come I never thought of that, you know, three years ago, four years ago. So Lent can be the time where we say, okay, how is my family supposed to look as a Catholic family? And let's try to work on that as much as we can. Fair warning that I always give. Don't, don't, I'm not saying that you're going to make your family perfect in 40 days. That would be a really cool uh, <laughs> book to write. <laughs> it would sell a lot. I'm not sure if it would be effective. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, you, there are some things that you can recover and you can kind of put back into place, right? So that is our goal. There's one thing that I wanted to mention here as well. As a parent... You are very much, as I've said before, like the priest of the house. The father is the priest of the house, but the mother has that role to a certain degree too. And something that is very important, a lot of, a lot of people miss this point, is not only do you have the duty to try to remove the bad things, you also have the duty to push to better things. And there is something uncommon. You, you don't hear that. Even in priests, you don't hear that sometimes. Uh, I don't know, sometimes I get... People get thrown off with me because, you know, they'll come to confession and someone might say some, you know, they might give me a very good state of their soul. And then they would expect, well, absolution and I'm out of here, right? And sometimes I'll be like, okay, what else can you do? You know, what should you be working on? Uh, are you praying this? Are you trying to do that? You know, what virtue are you trying to practice? Because my duty as a priest is not to leave you hanging, but it's to, if you're well, push you forward. Right? Just like a general or a soldier, you know, if, you, if you're fighting a war and the soldiers tell you, well, there's no problems here, we're safe, 
But you're, you're not going to say, oh, stay in there, sleep, you know, rest. You say, okay, push forward, push forward and try to close down on the enemy. The same applies for your family. You know, your children, let's say that you have children that are problematic. You have enough with that, enough chores there. But if you have a child that you see that there is some good dispositions in there, that they are, you know, they have a virtue here and there, or, or they, they are prone to be pious or to be generous or to be hard workers, we have to grab that and push it forward so that they get more graces too. So that is also part of Lent. Now, what I'm going to tell you today is going to be like a bombardment of suggestions. Okay, usually don't do that. It can be annoying. I hope it's not. But uh, you don't have to take them all. Just from the stuff that you hear, you know, take notes of what you like, of the ideas that you like, and, and, and say, well, maybe we can try this one thing this Lent, you know, or these two things during Lent. And if you don't try it in your house, you can put it also with your, your, with your children, perhaps, or your relatives, you know, these are some good ideas that you have. Okay, let's begin. The first part, the first uh, couple of things that I would say is Lent is a very good time to empty our house from the world. And this is, and this is a hard thing, I know, and you're going to say, Father Cepeda, you're always talking about this. You're always hammering on this. Why don't you tell us something else? But it is, it is one of the most important things. This makes such a huge difference in everyone's lives. And Lent is a very good time to say that, to say, okay, Lent, we're going to silence the world in our home. Silence, boredom, so a little bit of chance for God to actually talk. So some things, for example, that you can say or do. Say during Lent, we won't watch any movies or any TV other than, the, than uh, you know, perhaps religious movies. The children out there are like, what? We have to stop this right now. Forget the mission with the girls. We, we're coming over here. Uh, that is actually a very good thing to do. Very, very good thing to do. It's a big sacrifice. I know that with some children, you know, you might just suggest the idea or you might get a revolution. But it's very, very good to do. Uh, when you do that, it forces them uh, to do things. It forces them to put themselves in a more spiritual mindset, to actually give room to God, as I said. But it also is going to help them psychologically. Because as you know, as I've, as I've said before, it happens with children, especially with our youth today, that we're watching screens all the time, and that is very harmful. If for 40 days you take that away from them, it's going to be very, very good. And you'll see a change. You'll see a change at the end of the 40 days. You'll see them more lively, more able to, to take a conversation, more willing to work. So that is one good thing that we can do. Another good thing, and this, this I would consider necessary, is not to listen to worldly music. Say, okay, 40 days. Forget about Apple Music, forget about all that stuff, you know, only sisters, you know, Gregorian CDs, which are for sale, by the way, today. Just kidding. <laughs> um, this, again, might seem boring, might seem difficult. If you're driving eight hours, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily that you listen only to Gregorian Chan, but it's also very helpful. And another thing that you can say is to say, well, we're going to remove some recreations that are worldly. You know, no video games. Or again, not going to the movies, or you know, not, not going to, for adults, not going to parties or things like that. I'm not saying apply all of this at the same time. Remember, I'm giving you a bunch of suggestions. I will say one thing. Uh, 
a lot of these things I lived in when I was a child, which is interesting. You know, I, you might say, well, it's very difficult. That is just unbearable. It's unthinkable. I actually lived them and I remember that. I remember during Lent with my parents uh, and my brother, even my brother was a teenager. And <laughs> he would be listening to Gregorian music. And I remember even one time, sorry. I tried to put worldly music and my brother was like, no, you know, Lent. Um, so that, that is something that has been done. I was thinking about this and, and it surprised me to remember in Mexico, the, the public television, you know, this was days when Catholic, Mexico was Catholic, the public television in Mexico showed religious movies. This is like in the 80s and 90s, you remember the guys that are from Mexico. It, they showed other movies too, but prime time, it was, you know, Jesus of Nazareth and, and other movies like that, which is quite amazing if you think about it. That's not the case anymore. But that was a nice spirit of it. I remember even when I was a child, you would walk out in Mexico and you would see people dressed in black. You would see people quiet. You know, it was a whole change. So that is a good thing that you can remove in your house. Try to remove the worldly stuff. And that, if you think about it, is the enemy of the world. Uh, excuse me, the enemy of the soul, the world. You know, we try to get step away from the world. Okay. The other one that comes is mortification. Lent, you know, we always relate Lent to mortification, fasting, what are we going to give up? For yourself, that's pretty clear, you know, you can come up with things. But what about your children? Um, I wouldn't have your children fasting, and you know, they, they're, they're feeding, they need to be strong. But something you can do with them is, for example, here's what I wanted to suggest to you. Give them choices, and then let them take the choice. It would never be a good idea for you to impose dependence on the child. Because then what your child is going to remember is when he's older, you're going to say, yeah, when I was like eight years old, my mom used to make me fast and she used to make me eat fish and all this stuff and, you know, because of Lent. And um, you never want to do that. Instead, a good idea is, okay, son, daughter, it's, a, it's time for Lent. You need to do something. Uh, here's these things that you can do. Which one would you like to do? At the moment that you give the choice to your child, you make it seem... <laughs> <laughs> you, make sure. uh, you make it seem that it is his decision and that applies for many things I remember I've seen parents that are very smart in using this technique you know of, uh, you don't get to go to the party but you, go, you can do this or do that you know things like that so that is a good way to handle a physical mortification for your child now Something else that you could do for them is, for example, to have them do a special chore. Say, okay, well, during this Lent, there's these chores, things that you don't like to do. Which one do you choose that you can do every week or so? Here, I do want to give you those uh, two, two notes that are very important. You never want to use our Lord as... Uh, they call it, you know, I don't want to, I want to phrase this as properly as I can, but you never want to trip guilt your son or your daughter using our Lord. That's very important because sometimes we might phrase, phrase things in the wrong way and say, well, you know, Jesus is going to be displeased if you don't do this sacrifice or, you know, oh, you're going to make Jesus very sad and all this stuff. For an adult, yes, we can understand that. For the child, he has to know Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. He has to know our Lord Jesus Christ before you can use that. 
And so if you tell that to a child, all he thinks is, uh, basically, our Lord Jesus Christ is a blackmail tool for me, and, and he's, he's uh, someone that is wanting me to, to be suffer and to, to be restricted and all this kind of stuff. So it's very different in, depending on how you phrase it. Because if, for example, you say, well, if you do this sacrifice, you're going to help Jesus to carry his cross. If you do this sacrifice, you know, you might, you might take one thorn away from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't, you, you see the difference? It's not Jesus is going to be sad at you. Jesus is not going to be happy with you. It's rather you are going to help Jesus. As while I'm in this, I want to make another note. I was reading some of the stuff that they have on the internet about, you know, Lenten things for children. And one of them, Nobusordo, said, uh, oh, you don't want to tell them anything about the passion. We'll cover that. But uh, children are pretty smart. You know, they see a lot of things already. So there's nothing wrong with telling them of the passion. The important thing is how you bring it up. Okay. Here's another thing that would be interesting for you. And this is this would be a very good thing if you manage to have it with your child or with you know uh, your teenager. Propose this to them during this Lent when you do this particular fault that you are very prone to do, you will come and accuse yourself to me. If you want, you can come and say, "Mom, Dad, I'm sorry," and 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 you know, I did this. You know, I took candy again, or you know, I punched my brother in the face again, or whatever it might be. Uh, the other eye? Yes, the other eye. <laughs> <laughs> if you accuse yourself to me, uh, we won't do a punishment, a punishment the first time. Then the second, third time, if it happens again, we're going to do a punishment. And maybe, again, these are the punishments that you can do and you're going to get to choose. But the point to be made is if you come and you, you tell me that you did this again, uh, you'll be forgiven the first couple of times. Okay? That would open a very big door that is very important that I also insist a lot and is the door of showing, teaching your child to bring things to you, to accuse themselves to you and open themselves to you. Um, it's a good way to start during Lent and for that reason. And then you can keep it going. You can say, well, Paul, and whenever you make this fault, if you accuse yourself to me. And let's say this, you accuse yourself to me and you bring me your punishment. You'll choose the punishment that you want to take. And that way... The advantages of this is amazing because, first of all, you're teaching him to correct himself. It doesn't depend on you anymore. The, the child is learning to, to see his fault, to do something to repair it and amend it. But you're also opening that channel of communication where they know I can bring stuff to my mom or my dad, even if it's something bad that I did, to ask for help. I've told you this thousands of times. I used to do that with my parents all the time. And if you can get your child to do that when they're young, to have that confidence to do that when they're young. When they're teenagers and they, someone offers drugs to them or someone brings alcohol to the party or you know the boyfriend or the girlfriend, or you know, well, there is a boyfriend or a girlfriend that shouldn't be at the early ages, they'll come and tell you. They'll come and they'll tell you. And that is great. If, if your child comes and tells you that something really scary happened, you shouldn't take that the wrong way because they're telling you, it's like, great, this is really good. Now I give them advice. Now I tell them what to do. Uh, you're never going with him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that is what you want. So that is a good thing to, to instill during Lent. Any questions so far? No? Yes. I have found that... We're going to say the name of the person from now on. <laughs> <laughs> temperament has a lot to do with that. And 
I know the church brings that into it, but I've had some children who would be very open to that and you kind of train them the same, but, and there were some that no matter how much you tried, it was almost in their nature, the clerk to hide it. Mm -hmm. So that is very true. That is very true. And actually that's part of the point that I was going to go into. Were you going to say something else? I was going to ask about the not guilt tripping kids. Um, does it apply to sin though, right? I mean, telling your child that you will make Jesus sad if you do this sin, that's not guilt tripping or am I misunderstanding? Well, here's the thing. It's true and, it, and it's good, but it goes back to, to what she was saying and what I'm actually about to say. You have to see the disposition of your child. And that is this point, take it into consideration, write it down, keep it in your mind. Every child is going to be different depending on their dispositions, and you're going to talk to each one separately depending on that. So, for example, uh, there are children that are prone to love our Lord, and they're prone to be sensitive, and when you tell them that, they react in a very good way. And so if that's the case, then that's what you use. But if your child, there are children, for example, that might not relate to that concept at all. And if you tell them that, you know, for example, there are children that are very bitter and very, very, very strong-willed, and they can be, how would you say that? Uh, I will, and I'm thinking vengeful, but I'm not saying vengeful. It's more like they'll take things as aggression, you know, when you tell them stuff like that. And so with those children, you have to work it out and, and, and go to where they're at. So let me try to explain this very briefly. You have a child that is very spiritual. You have a child that is proficient in spirituality a little bit. You have a child that is totally you know, oblivious of spiritual stuff. If he's here, I'm not going to bring him that he's going to make sad our Lord Jesus Christ because he doesn't even know our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he doesn't even pray to him. That's, that's not an argument for him. So I have to go down first and go, this is bad for you. This is like the lowest degree, you know, okay, this is bad for you. If you're doing this, it's going to be bad for you and it's going to be bad consequences. And then because of that, because of that as a parent, I cannot allow it. And that's why God doesn't want you to do it. So you bring them from the bottom where they're at and you pull them up and you say, okay, here's how it's supposed to be. So I, I would do that a lot with the border boys. Sometimes with the border boys, there would be some that uh, you're never going to talk to them about spiritual stuff and they're going to, but if you begin from there, you know, okay, well, why can't I be dating girls right now? Well, because it's bad for you. You're not mature. I mean, you're still on diapers. You still. <laughs> it's like you're only going to harm yourself and the other person, you know, because you, what, where is she going to live? Where are you going to live? What are you going to do? Can, can you marry? No, then all you're going to do is get into a disordered relationship. So that's why it's bad for you. That's why we can't allow it. And my friend, that's why the church doesn't want you to do it. That's why God wants you to be like this and this and that. And then it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense, you know? If your child is already in a place where, you know, they love our Lord and, and, and religion is something that touches their heart, then you can just go straight at that and say, well, this is not going to make Jesus happy. And the same applies for dependences. You know, if during Lent you want your child to do penance, you can take that same approach. Let's do this penance, this mortification, because this would be good for you. And, you know, you, you'll grow stronger. You'll control yourself. You'll be able to be a better boy, a better girl. And then from there, just raise it up to our Lord Jesus Christ. Any other questions? Let me see if I missed something else. Okay, that's, a, that's another important thing. If you're coming up with ideas, there's no need to come up with anything extraordinary. There's no need for that. 
the ordinary things mortify. You know, for your child, it's enough of a mortification to eat vegetables or to drink water or to shovel snow or whatever else. Just find more ordinary stuff that mortifies them. This is, you know, when you read the books of religious priests and, and, and sisters and all that, you read about how they would do these extraordinary mortifications to their inferiors. You know, you're the superior and you would say, go and, you know, water that tree that is dry and stuff like that. Or, you know, uh, oh, everybody's going to eat food with ashes and stuff like that. Most of the time, you know, I, I've been tempted to do those things sometimes with the sisters. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, now, it does come to your mind at times with the border boys or things, but there's no need for that. The ordinary is good enough. You just have to find what is the ordinary thing that is mortifying, right? Um, for a child, obeying is, ordinary, is mortifying enough. And you want to you wanna find the penance that is going to terrify your child? Tell them, what about this? Every week you're going to come and ask me to order you something. Every, every Monday you're going to come and say, Mom, give me an order. I'm going to do it today. That would be the no, no, absolutely not. But that would be actually very good. It would be very useful for them too. Okay, uh, let's go to the next part. The next part would be the part related to the devil. And I'm going to save that for we go, when we go into the positive side of things that we need to do. But with the devil, speaking of Lent, you know, remember how Lent begins with our Lord facing the devil. And this is a good, interesting point to be made while we're talking about this. You're concerned about the salvation of your children's soul. The world is an enemy. It's powerful, but it's not as dangerous as the devil. The flesh is an enemy too. It's also very powerful, but it's not as dangerous as the devil. Why is the devil more dangerous? Because the world and the flesh bring with it shame. You know, when your child or whoever, any human being, when they give in to the world or the flesh, it's shameful. It's like there's dirt in it. You can, you can sense and know, and everybody knows that it's filthy. You know, the world, it takes you then seconds to be out there and look at the music and listen at the movies and look at the news to realize these people are insane. Right? Like the thing that happened. Well, that's not big news. Uh, so it always has that filth with it. It's not so dangerous because you know it's evil. The world and the flesh, you know that they're evil. What's so dangerous about the devil and the temptations that the devil will bring to you and your child is that he always comes with a guise of glory and of beauty and of, uh, you know, of uh, pride. The devil transfigures himself to an angel of light. And so those are the most difficult temptations to deal with and the most, the most uh, dangerous for your child, children's soul. Because the devil will tempt them always, for example, to, to be free, you know, and it seems like a good thing to them. Or the devil will tempt them to be more smart, you know, smarter, I should say, <laughs> to be smarter than mom and dad. And that seems like a very good thing. And so those are the temptations that are difficult because you might not see your child with anything of the flesh or with anything of the world, but if he's moving in that direction of pride and of, of uh, rebellion, and, and even when there is cleanness in everything else, that, that is the dark temptation of the devil that's coming in. Does that make sense? So, I scared you all. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go now into the positive side. You know, what good things can we do during Lent? <clears throat> well, it's going to be kind of like the parallel of what I was just saying. 
If we're removing things from the world, something good that we could do, for example, would be to try to watch in TV things that are related to religion. You know, try to watch some religious movies or, uh, or read some good religious books. Something that I remember they did in the TV in Mexico is they would actually graduate the movies. It was really interesting because you had first, I don't want to say the movies because I can't recommend them, but most of you have them probably and see them. You know, you have like the Ten Commandments first and then you have Jesus of Nazareth and then they would have that for several days and then other movies that they have. So if you have access to resources that are safe and that are not wrong, that would be good to have, you know, movies that you graduate. I was saying in the sermon to watch parts of the Passion, you know, to watch, okay, the first part of the Passion, the first week, and then the second part of the Passion on the second week and so forth. <laughs> While we're at it, when you watch the Passion, don't, don't eat popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen people do that. <laughs> so uh, it's, you know, it's, it's supposed to be, you're thinking about our Lord. So when you watch the Passion, you do it more like a, almost like a prayerful thing. Um, and it would be good to watch it also privately. You know, to watch it like with close, uh, you know, no light, you know, kind of like everybody just focusing on the movie. But that's a good thing that we can do. Now, there's a question that I'm dreading and I'm just going to address it before it is asked. What movies can we watch, Father? What religious movies can we watch? Uh, I don't want to forbid anything to you because then it makes life difficult for you right now. Uh, but I'll tell you what things you should watch out for. Obviously, there are some movies that are very good, but have immorality in it. So, you know, that should not be watched unless there's a way you can get the movie without the immorality, which there are means, I think, right now, but that should not be watched at all. Um, most of the movies that you have about our Lord uh, will have the main problem of being Protestant-ish. So, for example, I'll tell you what you should watch out for. You know, Jesus of Nazareth. I don't remember the whole thing. I don't think I watched the whole thing. But, you know, Jesus of Nazareth has constant things against our Blessed Mother. You know, uh, they, show, they, show, they show our Blessed Mother as, as if she had other children with St. Joseph. And they show her at the crucifixion, you know, losing her mind and screaming and all those things. Uh, that is one side of it. <clears throat> and that is very common to most Protestant movies except for one that I know that was actually somewhat Catholic. But um, the other thing that you have to watch out for, and this is for me one of the main concerns, is that in most of these movies, they portray our Lord as the hippie. You know, the, the hippie, uh, our Lord from the Novus Ordo. And that's Jesus of Nazareth, you know, I mean, there are some scenes of the movie that I really like. Others are just like, yeah, that didn't happen. That Our Lord wasn't like that. You know, when they put our Lord just sitting without dignity, uh, you know, in, in very, you know, in modest ways or things like that. That's the same problem. I haven't watched the whole thing with The Chosen. But The Chosen, first of all, is all made up. A lot of it is made up. But that the main problem that I find is, is that, that they take the figure of our Lord and they deprive it of its divinity. And then you might say, well, I know better. But the thing is, movies form your conscience. Movies form your feelings and your thoughts. So when you watch something like that at the end of it, your idea of our Lord is distorted. I'll give you an example very quickly. <clears throat> I was, yeah, I think we're doing okay with time. 
Imagine that you watch a series of your husband, about your husband, of seven or eight chapters. And those seven or eight chapters show your husband being goofy and being this and that. And, and you know, uh, in, a, in a way that your husband is not. At the end of those eight chapters, when you come back and see your husband, you're going to be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait a minute, you were just doing that. <laughs> the same happens with our Lord. When we watch those movies, when we come and pray, we're not praying to, to the, our Lord from the Gospels. We're praying to the our Lord that we saw in those movies. So that's why you have to be very watchful with those things. <coughs> okay. <clears throat> and the other one that I mentioned, I already mentioned it is to listen to religious music. Now, I would say this, if you go that way, you don't have to do it the whole week or everything like that, but you can say, for example, Sundays, we're gonna listen to religious music, you're going to chant, you know, the CDs from the, I'm not selling it, but you know, we have those, <laughs> the, 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 the CDs from the seminarians or from the sisters. And uh, you'll notice, if you do that, you'll notice that even the temperament of your children, you know, their mood is gonna, is out. Uh, at least after they go through the, you know, 30 minutes of anger because you don't listen, you don't allow the things of music. But that is a good thing you can do. Okay. Any questions so far? No? Okay. The part of reading, um, a good idea that you could do during Lent is reading something before dinner. I've always mentioned that it is, as a family, you should strive to have dinner together and I'll mention a parenthesis here really quickly. You should also make your children wait for mom and dad. You know, say, we're, be we're beginning dinner, quiet on the table until mom and dad say grace. Once they say grace and they start talking, then we all start talking. But you want to have that little ceremony for supper, right? Um, the same, you don't get up from, ta from the table until dad has said grace. And then one once dad has said grace, then... If you want to take it to the extreme, God can, uh, God. Dad can say, okay, you're dismissed now, you can go. And they go. But it's very, those little disciplines that you have every day is what bends your child to be able to control himself. Does that make sense? So something you could do for, for Lent is saying before dinner, let's read a little bit of the Passion of our Lord. You have the Passion of St. Matthew, St. Luke, St. Mark, and, and St. John. And so, for example, we're going to read, let's say, half a page or one page. You just read it, and then we say grace, and then we begin having our dinner. And that is something very good to do. There are other books. There is a book that uh, someone was showing me yesterday about. Uh, it's It has a reflection for children for every day of Lent, which is also on sale here at the library. Actually, no, we don't have it right now. So <laughs> those are the things that we can do. Um, here I want to give you, let's go back to that part of not every child is the same. Sometimes you might find that you go and read to your child and you're reading the passion and your child is going to be, and I know this because, you know, uh, your child is going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just reading. <laughs> the, just this last week, I was having, I was preaching my sermon about the passion. I was preaching about the, the scourging of our Lord and I'm right into the sermon and there's these two children in the front pew. <laughs> and I was trying so hard not to get distracted and I just and at one moment of the sermon I looked at them and they looked at me and they stopped and then I continued the sermon and they said 
<laughs> so that, that might happen to you. And if it happens, don't get frustrated. But the point, again, your goal is not the ceremony. Your goal is the reaction that you're causing your child. So if you notice that me reading the gospel is not working, then what am I going to do? I'm going to take my child. I'm going to sit down with him at some point, And I'm going to tell him the story with my own words. Well, you know, sometimes when our Lord was having this and this happened, and he had the last supper with his disciples, look at me, pay attention, this and this and that. <laughs> and that is what you want. Your point is not that you get your ceremony so that you can, you know, tell here in the confraternity, yes, I did what Father said. No, your point is to get that into your child's mind, however you can, however you can. If you need to dry doodles and, well, like, well, our Lord was here. There was one child in here, I told you the story. There was one child in here that has autism to some extent, and I was trying to teach him catechism. And nothing worked until I, I did the doodles, and I was like, this was Adam and Eve, and he came over here, and this happened. And then when I tried to go back to the book, he would say, no, Father, draw, draw. <laughs> okay. That's your goal. Your goal is to get that into your child's mind, however it is, reading the Gospels, making drawings, whatever it might be. Okay. In that same topic, a good thing that you can have is to have holy pictures, uh, to have, uh, you know, say, for example, you can find for yourself pictures of the five sorrowful mysteries and put them next to your dinner table. And, and as each week progresses, you know, the first week you have one picture and then the next week you come and you put the other and the child can come and do that himself. You know, come up with stuff like that. But holy pictures are also very helpful. And I want to tell you one that is very interesting. Um, the thorns. Raise your hands if you've ever used the crown of thorns or something like that where your children take the thorns out. Have you ever done that? Okay. I want to show you something. Don't be horrified. But I forgot to bring it, so I'll have to go and get it and I'll be right back. Just give me five minutes, okay? In the meantime, you can criticize my phone. <laughs> So I'm going to contradict myself because I was saying not, no guilt tripping. <laughs> but this is, I think this would be well taken by most people, I think. <laughs> so I was in the monastery once and uh, they started giving us those cheese, you know, the cheese things that are like uh, wrapped in red wax. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we, I was in the kitchen and I was seeing the brother throwing them out. And then I, one of them grabbed it and made a bowl of it. And I saw it and I was Save those from now on. So they save them for me. And it's red wax, that's what it is. But what I did is I made a heart with it. And so one day, and I'll show you the heart. One day I took a piece of wood and I put the picture of our blessed mother with the heart. And then I made the heart. This is the same one that I brought it from the convent. And then I put thorns all around, like all over the place, just a lot of thorns. And I hang it in there and I said to the brothers, well, here's this, you know, if you make a sacrifice, you can you get to take a thorn out and save the thorns for me because it was a lot of work to get them. <laughs> so when we first saw it, like when I put it there and the, the brothers first saw it, everybody's when like, you know, it gets to your heart, like you actually want to cry when you see it because you see a picture of our mother and then all the thorns in here. This was all filled with thorns. And when you take them out because it's wax, it feels like, like you're taking a thorn out of someone's, you know, I don't know, flesh. <coughs> so I've seen this. I've seen the sisters have up here a little crown with sticks on it. 
and the children get to, to take the sticks out. So that's another thing that you can do. And again, it keeps you in the, in the thought of the passion of our Lord. That's what you want to have, right? And lastly, well, to do the Stations of the Cross, something good that you could do with your family, for example, is say, let's go to the Stations of the Cross at Mother Cabrini's Shrine, or, you know, a place that is exciting for the children. We're actually hoping to do that with the school. Okay, so far, any questions or comments? No? Okay. The, if during Lent, you want to make your child not only get rid of the bad things, but also start practicing acts of virtue. And I'll tell you something else that is very useful. To have a whiteboard or something that is up there, public and visible. Your child is not going to understand it. Well, to him, it's not going to mean a lot if you say, well, you did two good things today, but that's very good. That kind of comes in and goes. Because your children's mind are very much focused on the sensitive, you know, things like this. So this is the part of, you know, I'm removing things and I'm doing sacrifices, but it would be very good for him or for her to also do positive things and to realize how am I improving? And so, for example, you can have a board and say Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Friday, all, the, all those days and lines, you know, well, today, today you did two good acts of virtue. Today you did two acts of obedience. Great. Write it down in here and see how he's improving. And not only he sees it, everybody sees it in the family. Is it kind of a little cheap shot? You know, because he might be motivated by vainglory and things like that. There might be those, you know, spurious reasons in there. But still, he's going he's gonna to profit from it. Here's why. Because he's going to start acquiring the virtue and the habit of the virtue and the strength to practice the virtue. And so once they have that strength and that habit, it's very easy for you to say, okay, let's... Let's purify your motives now. You know, let's do it for the love of our Lord. But you begin by this way. Um, there's something that I mentioned in those episodes that are coming out. Where I used to work, they had a, a methodology called Kaizen. Have you ever heard of that? Raise your hands if you've heard of that. No? Kaizen is a Japanese technique that they use to make factories better. But here's how they would work. You were working in your desk and you had a whiteboard like that. And they would keep track on your performance. But so one of the things was, how neat is your desk? And you can see I'm not very good at that. Uh, they had, in my desk, they had tape marking where everything should be. You know, tape marking my notebook, tape marking my, my desk, tape marking, okay, here's the trash. It needs to be here. There can be nothing else but what's on the tape. And if... So that would be exciting, it would be, it'd be interesting, because here's the thing, there would be a hidden person that needed to make an evaluation of you, and you didn't know when he was going to come. So we would call him the angel of judgment. And so let's say that I have my mask here, and I say to myself, well, I'm going to pick it up this afternoon, and I leave, and at that moment, the guy comes, and he sees me, one point less, one point less, one point less, and he would write it down. So you would come back to your desk, and you'd find... And what made it worse is you're in an office. So you have 10 people around and it's like, okay, 100, 180, 160. <laughs> and so it was a very good way to push people to be more ordered and, and in everything in their lives. That's kind of what I'm talking about here, you know, with your children. Not like that necessarily, but where you can say, okay, we're actually counting your acts of virtue every day and you're seeing how you're improving. And for a child, 
that's going to be very exciting to say, okay, wow, I have five lines today of how I obeyed today. Say, for example, we're going to draw a line every time that I tell you something and you don't reply to me. And, and, and you keep track of that. And trust me, your child, most of them will say, hey, my line. <laughs> you know, I did it. <laughs> so practice of virtue like that is a very good thing. Um, something that could be done in this same line is to do, for example, an examination of conscience with them in the evening, during Lent only. But come together and say together, okay, well, where did we fail? Where did I fail in this? I failed in that and this and that. And you write it down. I want to give you here, uh, one might say, well, Father, that seems kind of excessive, you know, that, that'd be like kind of harsh. Um, a lot of these things were practiced by the church. And, you know, we can think, I think we can trust in the, how do you say that, pedagogy? 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 Ah, put you in trouble. <laughs> we, can, we can trust in the ability to teach of the church, right? And the church did that. For religious, for example, they had this. They had something called the chapter of, of faults. And all the religious would get together like this. And the religious would say, okay, you did this today, and you did that today, and I saw you talking without permission, and you did that, and you did that, and you did that, in front of everybody. And then the superior would say, okay, for your penance, you're going to do this and this and that. The church did that in, in many religious houses. So it, these are things that can work. Okay, let's try to end it and wrap it up. But uh, I do want to mention uh, a few things. In this part of the Acts of Virtue, what you want to focus on with your child is especially obedience and humility. If you worry a lot about a lot of things from your child, but if you tackle obedience and humility, everything else is taken care of. You know, those, those are the two, the two heads that you have to cut, you know, to, to handle the monster, so to speak, with all the respect. I'm not saying your child is a monster, but you know, <laughs> the evil inclinations are the monster. Obedience and humility. And for that, uh, you have to, to handle both the mind and the body and the soul. So, for example, during week, during Lent, as I said, if your child comes and says, well, during Lent, we're going to give you a, an act of obedience every week. Or you have to obey us. And I'm going to take you to do something. It doesn't have to be hard. It, has to be, it can be something very, very simple. Just the fact that he's coming over to ask for an obedience, uh, that's going to be quite enough of a mortification. Another one can be humility, for example. To say, okay, well, how about this? You know, we can, if we did something wrong, uh, if you want, you can kneel down, you know, during, during dinner. I need your, your dinner kneeling down. Or you can come and ask for forgiveness kneeling down. And again, these things you might think, oh, that's a little bit too excessive. Go back to the church. What does the church do? The church commands the priest, Thursday, you're going to kneel down in front of your parishioners and you're going to wash their feet. So if the church does that with us, the priests, practices like that are not going to be bad with your child as long as, as long as you're able to win their heart and have them do it voluntarily, you know, rather than a force. Does that make sense? Um, the, the old Holy Week rite, the, the one that was before Pius XII, commanded the priest even to kiss the feet of the parishioners. And I would do it, but I think the men would not like that. <laughs> I think it's hard enough to get them to come. I think the men would be like, no. <laughs> I get like a cake in the face. 
Um, when I was younger, in Mexico, it's the children. They bring the children because the men, I think, just don't do it. So they bring child, children. And I was brought, and I remember sometimes you would have some children that came straight for, from, from playing. Like they were playing <laughs> soccer or whatever, and you would see, it's like, oh boy. <laughs> you would see the priest go like, okay, we need soap for this one. <laughs> okay, so you want to work in obedience and humility. Um, do you have questions so far? I'll, I'll put you, I'll, I'll put you in difficulties. Give me ideas. I, I want to hear three ideas of how you could make your children practice obedience or humility. Three of obedience and three of humility. If you don't come up with them, I'll come up with them. Let's see. Don't be nervous. You're not on camera. It's just me. And I can cut the, the awkward silence. Too. Well, I might be cheating because I just read this in a book, but it was saying like if two siblings are having an argument, the one that's right, you bring in the other room and say, okay, I know you're right and stuff, but you just got to put this away, you know, like tell your brother, okay, I'm not going to, you know, fight anymore. Like be a little humble. So, mm -hmm. just, you know. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. I don't know. No, yeah, definitely. That's an act of humility right there. An act of humility is always attached to charity. So for example, um, you can have your children do the dishes extraordinarily, or you can tell them to sweep the floor even though it's been swept, or to wash the bathrooms. Do something that you do for them. You can tell them, okay, you do this now today. You're gonna do it yourself. You know, you're gonna wash your own clothes, or you're gonna, you know, wash your own dishes, or even cook for yourself. I've seen I've seen children that are like 18 years old and they don't know how to do an egg, which <laughs> probably was my case too, but. <laughs> Obedience, you can find plenty of stuff to do. You know, the, the hard thing is to get them to do it, perhaps. Humility, I do want to give you some for humility. Um, I'll give you an extreme one. I'm not saying to do this one, but I'll give you an extreme one. And I don't know if I've told, told you this before. Do you remember a story about my grandma and her two children? Not the one with the stone, another one. <laughs> I don't think I said that one either. <laughs> I remember that one. Okay, okay. Um, so, my grandma from my mother's side had nine children. Mexico is a very hot place, as you know. So she started this with their, the brothers because there was a lot of brothers and they would get into big fights. And she was like, you have to be charitable and you have to be humble. And they'll be like, oh, you know, and they start hitting each other. So one day he grabbed, she grabbed two of them and she brought them out to the patio. Imagine this like that right now, you know, all hot. And she raised their shirts of the two boys and she had them kneeling there for five minutes, and then she said, you have to lick each other's back so that you learn to love each other. <laughs> I'm not advocating for that necessarily. But so for example, something good you could do for community is, uh, okay, why don't you, if during then you're gonna come down and kneel down to your dad and mom and we're gonna give you a blessing. That simple fact, is, there's nothing wrong with it, nothing upset, you know, Upsetting about it, but just the fact of kneeling down, it's a very good thing. It's physical and it gets the message across. Uh, another thing would be, for example, well, during supper today, how about, you know, you're going to keep quiet during supper. That's an act of humility. You know, you're going to let other people talk. And, you know, it's going to be very funny. Trust me on that. That's another act of humility, keeping silence in, in certain occasions. Or say, for example, okay, well, uh, you got to sit with your brother or your sister, you're going to wash the toilet of your brother and sister. And, and you're, here's this, 
forget about the long scrub. No, you're going to get this, you know, this little thing. Here's the gloves and here's the, everything. And, you know, wash the toilet. And I'm going to be here right here with you. And if, if you struggle, if you struggle to make them do this, do it with them. Because for a child, it's going to be a very, very powerful example. If you say, okay, you know what? Let's say, for example, that my child is not obedient to dad. Well, dad, here I am with him and give us an order. And well, you go and wash the toilet. And I'm going to go meet the mom with my child. And we're going to wash the toilet together. Because then it's kind of like you're helping him walk, right? You're doing the act of humility with him or with her. And it's going to be a lot easier for them to take. That's what our Lord did with us. You know, our Lord knew how proud we were, and that's why he did it first, to kind of like lead us by the hand. So that's a good way to get them to do it. Okay, uh, I think that's all. The other idea that I wanted to share with you, that is a good one too, is to have a nice big cross at your house and do a little adoration of the cross after dinner or on Fridays. For example, you pray the rosary and you have the cross and then the children, everybody comes and they kiss the cross. They kiss, kiss the feet of our Lord. And it's also a good way to keep them in the mind of Lent. Okay, any questions or comments so far? I have a question. Okay. Um, so I think the suggestions that you've given us and stuff are a little bit easier to do with younger children. I think that they're a little bit more malleable, but what, how do you approach that with someone that's older? Like, I have a really good relationship with my daughter, but sometimes even when I ask her to do something, it's like pulling teeth, you know, because I'm like, mm -hmm. do it, I'll do it later. And then, you know, it's like, it's a constant repetitive thing of pulling and pushing, or, um, between me and her, you know, and so how does that work for older children? Cut the video right now, we're in the conversation. No, it's a very good question, actually. And well, a lot of these suggestions are applying, that's right, they're applying mostly to, to younger children. I think for older children, like teenagers and stuff, uh, for Lent, what you want to do is practices of piety. And it would be a good idea, for example, if you're, you're talking about me and my daughter, to do it together. Say, okay, you know what? Uh, I really want us to go and do uh, this to the sacrament during Lent or, you know, to do uh, Stations of the Cross during Lent or things like that. And together. Um, if you do the practice of piety as a family thing, and this is a personal relationship building stuff, you know, that we're doing together. For example, a good way to get them is to say, uh, let's go to Stations of the Cross and then we'll go get some coffee, you know, Starbucks or whatever. Not Starbucks, bad. Uh, <laughs> other coffee. <laughs> yeah, uh, or we'll go, you know, we'll go out for a hike or whatever. Uh, you always tie it up to something else. And, and that way, to them, it's clear that it's not just, I want you to be pious, you know, and I'll go watch TV. But no, <laughs> it's, this is a bonding thing. And now you've added something personal to it. It's like, okay, there's a reason for me to do it because my mom wants to hang out with me. You know what I mean? So that really helps. You kind of use the one thing that you know is going to get them, and then you kind of pull them back to other, other stuff. And the other thing that is important with teenagers is you need to do more explaining now. You actually need to speak and, and talk and explain things more. And so uh, I will go back. Forgive me if I repeat things. Uh, we need things repeated sometimes. Uh, don't shrink from your role as a teacher. Because that, that, I see that very frequently. We, we, we are afraid of taking a role as the sensei, you know, the teacher, the one that teaches you how life should be. And sometimes that's why we don't talk to them. And there's nothing wrong with saying every now and then saying, okay, we have to sit down and talk to you about it and tell you, okay, 
This is why we have to be obedient, because this is going to help you to control yourself. If you're obedient, you'll learn to master your own will, and that's going to help you to, to master your own vices. You know, it's not just for my sake, it's for your sake. That's why we're doing these things. And that's really helpful when you actually sit down and talk to them. I've told you the story of the boy that had that issue with me where, you know, he thought that I was bossing him around because I hated him. And I had to sit, I had to actually talk to him and tell him, no, I would rather not boss you around. <laughs> I'd rather just to send you off and do my own thing. But I do it for you because I'm not going to abandon you. This is something that you need. So talking to them. And finally, sometimes you have to do it with them. You know, it's like saying, you know, okay, you're not doing it, you're not doing it, you're not doing it. Okay, step up with me right now. We're both going to do it together because this needs to be done. And, and, and I need you to understand we're a team here. You're working together. If you don't do what I'm telling you to do, we can't function. This is an army. We can't function if, if I tell people to do things and we don't do it. So, okay, you don't want to do it because I'm telling you we're going to do it together tonight, today. And you go and do it with, with them. And little by little, the message, the message gets across. Don't give up. Because that's another thing that happens sometimes. The parents say like, okay, and I've, I've lived that. I know how it feels. When you're standing outside of the room and you're thinking to yourself, I have to tell them to do the dishes. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just do it myself. No, I'll just do it myself. Like, no, 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 okay, okay, I'll do it myself. <laughs> I've lived through that. It's, it's really, there's little things in, in life, I think, that are more horrible than that feeling of, you know, I have to face this, this you know, Dracula monster. Um, but when that happens, it's very important as a mom or as a dad to say, no, I got to continue fighting because they're not going to break me. I'm going to break them. And it sounds very ugly to say that, but that is what you're doing. You're breaking their own will. You're breaking their own will so they learn to obey and to submit. And that is a good thing. That is a problem with society right now, that we haven't been taught to do that. But you know, my, my religious order, where I was before, that's it. it said that specifically there. It said the, the superior is going gonna, is gonna, uh, to strive to break the will of, of the, the religious. And that is understood in a good way, in a positive way, in the sense of to, to show them, to teach them to control themselves. Because that is why, that is why we break the will of the, of the inferiors. This, is, this video is not going to go on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why, when, what you mean with that is, and this is St. Teresa of Avila said this. She said, the reason why God wants us to be obedient is because that is how you learn to control your will. You know, your, your will is the most important part that you have. It's what you use to make decisions. You know, your will, you make decisions to be good or to be bad. When you learn to be obedient, someone tells me an order, my will rebels, and I say, no, we're going to do it, and I'm going to go and do it. That act that you have to do to obey forces you to train your will to obey to, to your reason, to what you command. And so for your child to learn to be obedient, when you're gone, which you will be gone, that child is going to be in perfect control of his faculties. And he's going to be able to make decisions based on nothing but his reason. Because, because he has learned to control his will. Does that make sense? Censor that from the video, Father. <laughs> Father, you said um, you were giving us what to say to encourage.
encourage the child to understand that this is actually for them that you want them to be obedient. As opposed to, it's the fourth commandment, they're supposed to be obedient. And you were saying, if you're obedient, it helps you to master your will, it's for you, it's to help you. Could you elaborate more on what exactly to explain to the teenager as to why it's helpful to them to be obedient? Can you give us a little more on that? What I did with uh, with one of them, I'll tell you the example of what I did with him. I, 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 I would always show to them the picture of the future. What's going to happen with you if you don't obey right now? Because for you right now, it's very easy to say, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to listen to, you know, not watching TV and all that stuff. And, and you know, forget about it because, you know, I want to watch TV right now. But you got to go, okay, this is you at 17 years old. What's going to happen when you're 25, 27? And this is another part that I have to cut out from the video. But one time I sat down with some of them and I told them, okay, here's what's going to happen with you. Uh, you're going to turn out 17, 18. You're going to find this beautiful girl that is very pretty. But she's not Catholic and she has no morals. And then your dad is going to say, you can't date her because she's bad. You're going to say, oh, forget your dad. You know, you're going to do what I want. You're going to date this girl. And then this girl doesn't care. So soon enough, you know, you'll end up living together. And then it turns out. And now your whole life is ruined. You don't have a good job because you have to live with her. And your whole life is ruined. Because why? Because you never wanted to listen. So my point is right now, I'm going to an extreme. You probably don't want to go all that far, but you know, you can measure. But the point is you guys, you guys say to them, okay, here's what's going to happen in the future. If you don't learn to control yourself right now, you know, the problems that you're having with me, you're going to have them with your husband. You're going to have them with your wife. You're going to have them with your boss and you're going to get fired and you're going to get divorced and all these things. Don't make it like, you know, you're trying to, to look very negative, but that's what I would do. I would say, show them the picture, but then you also show them the positive picture. That's very, very important. When you're yelling at a teenager, never leave it at the negative side, because that's, that's what they get. You, you always go to the positive side. Okay, this is one side, but that's not going to happen because you're going to start obeying and you're going to listen to what I say, and this is what's going to happen because you're going to start obeying, you're going to start mastering your will, you'll realize that you're going to get passions and you're going to be able to control them. And then little by little, you're going to perhaps later meet someone and you're going to come for advice because you're used to getting advice now. And you're going to get advice and you're going to find in that way a very good person for you. And you're going to get married with this very good person. And when you grow and, and you are older and you'll be married, there will be some difficulties, but you've learned how to control your passions now. You've learned how to control yourself. So you're going to be able to deal with those difficulties. And you're going to have a great marriage. And then you're going to have children. And you're going to be able to teach them all these things. And you're going to live a very beautiful and happy life. That's what we're going to go for. So you want to show them the bad picture? Yeah. Maybe not as explicitly as I did. But then you show them also the good picture. That's very important. And you end with that. And you don't say, this is what could happen if you're, if you're good. You say, this is what you're going to do. This is what's going to happen because you will listen. And, and that way, you know, it's like, it's already not only a possibility, it's like, okay, as a teenager, I'm assured this is actually the road that I'm leading and it's a very good thing. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's, that's a good way to cover that. We'll end then, uh, unless there's more comments, I'll ask, but Holy Week, Holy Week, you want to, if you don't do this for the whole of Lent, I would ask you, 
do it for Holy Week. You know, for Holy Week, no TV, no music, total blackout of media. Uh, listen to religious stuff, read religious books for your children as well. They can recreate, they can have fun. Lent is not supposed to be sad. You know, they can do all the stuff that they do, but let's just do recreation that is more, more human, you know, less of TV and less of technology and all that stuff. And then, you know, finish the Holy Week with, uh, with the happiness of Easter. All right, any questions or comments? I gotta tell you that I'm stressed now when I'm beginning the talks because I need to think of all the jokes that have to come up with my head or funny stories. <laughs> I hope that made sense, uh, but uh, that topic of how to address teenagers is kind of delicate. I don't wanna make it seem like you have to do exactly what I'm saying, but I think that's a good idea. Okay, all right, let's end with a break. In page 14, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. O Jesus, eternal word of the Father, thou hast said, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. We thank thee for allowing us to listen once more to the words of spiritual instruction. Assist us by thy grace carefully to preserve them, and devoutly to live according to their holy teaching that we may thus become pleasing to thee in this world and enjoy thee eternally in the next. With the Father and the Holy Ghost, livest and reignest, one God, world without end. Amen. The prayer for the Ash Confraternity. O Mary, Immaculate Virgin and Sorrowful Mother, intercede for our children with the divine heart of Jesus, thy Son, who refuses nothing to his mother. Holy Guardian Angels, Saint Joachim, Saint John, much beloved precursor of our Lord, Saint Joseph, powerful patron, Saint Augustine, Saint Anne, mother of the Blessed Virgin, Saint Rose of Lima, Saint Monica, all ye holy mothers and fathers, all ye holy children, Amen. Let us. O God, who has given us some of the blessed in heaven as special patrons, granting thy mercy that we and our children, through the merits of the same and of all thy saints, may receive the help of which we stand in need, and practice the virtues taught us by their example. May we, O Lord, through the honor we pay them, become worthy of thy good pleasure and share in their powerful intercession. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for the deceased members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. And let our prayers light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. Let us pray for the grace of a happy death for that member of the confraternity who will be next to thy. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray for the intentions especially recommended to our prayers today. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray for the intentions of all members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray. O sweet Lord Jesus Christ, for the love of thy most sacred heart, 
We beseech thee to have pity upon all whom we have recommended to thy mercy, and to aid them with thy grace, who livest and reignest with God the Father and the Holy Ghost, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be, world without end. Amen. Prayer for the children. Look, O most holy Mother of our Lord, upon the great number of children, who through the fault and negligence of their parents, strain the path of iniquity and vice, have mercy on so many poor young souls, who might be saved, but who will not, either because their mothers are ignorant of their duties, or unwilling to fulfill them. Remember the bitter passion and cruel death endured by thy divine Son for those poor children. Permit not that his great love, his infinite merits, be lost to them. For the sake of that keenest of all swords that pierced thy tender heart, when you stood at the foot of the cross, obtain for those erring mothers the grace of their vocation. Obtain likewise for their children the spirit of obedience and grateful love, that the desires of the sweet heart of Jesus may be fulfilled by both parents and children. Amen. Prayer for the Arch Confraternity. O glorious Queen of heaven and earth, Thou art the chosen patroness of all Christian mothers. Bless then the Arch Confraternity. May it spread far and wide. Obtain, we beseech thee, that all mothers may seek protection in its bosom, and under its guidance become perfectly what thou would have them and what they ought to be, truly Christian mothers, then images and worthy representatives with their children. O thou most pure, most compassionate mother of the Divine Savior and of all the children of the Heavenly Father, who have been regenerated in the Holy Sacrament of Baptism. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. And as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be, world without any O Mary, my mother, to thee do I flee. In all my afflictions I hasten to thee. Thy heart is so gentle, so loving, so mild. Thou canst not reject a poor suffering child. O Mary, my mother, I am longing to see. The glory of thy Son has bestowed upon thee. That heaven of glory is so purely thine own. We stay kneeling, I'll give you a blessing. Benedictio de Onipotentis, Patris et Fili et Spiritus Santi, descendat super vos et panet sempesh. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Catholic Wire. If you have found the show helpful, please say a prayer for all our collaborators. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and share with your friends. For questions and comments, you may contact us at thecatholicwire.org.